You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. And this week, we're covering something that's kind of relevant uh, because as we've gotten out of pandemic times, things have gotten significantly harder mm -hmm. uh, than they were when people were just making easy money because it was being printed for everyone. Yes. So with that, uh, it's a topic that we revisit periodically, and it is what are some of the biggest mistakes that can cause a shop, LGS, vendor, whatever, to fail. Mm -hmm. And with that... Let's get it started. So this is actually a comment that came from YouTube, and we talked about it for a little bit, and we decided that instead of waiting and putting this off and musing about it, we just jump in both feet. And this quote came from bmath06 on YouTube, and it is this. I don't understand how card shops failed in the COVID period of time. All you needed to do is be smart with your money slash inventory beforehand, and you should have done great. What would you say your biggest mistakes were that caused your shop to fail? Damon. And the, the, the basic question here is, were you just undercapitalized? Yeah. So first, I do want to say, like you did, thank you for the comment. This is what we ask for all the time. That's why we give you all yeah. our information. We love to see this. We love engagement on YouTube. We do respond back. So, And sometimes they become Thanks. episodes. Yeah. Oh, this is like our third or fourth one, I think, I that think was so, a YouTube yeah. comment that just became an episode. So yeah. pretty cool. Uh, so to answer that question... Uh, one of the most important things, and this is kind of, you know, why the shop closed and also something that I think every shop should be mindful of, is this industry, despite what anyone tells you, runs on razor thin margins. So if you are going to make it work, it needs to be made to work with investments rather than loans. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of stores, a lot of vendors do is they get underwater really quick. Uh, and there are some vendors who exist almost entirely on loans, but they have such a good reach and pull with their social media and just their marketability that it doesn't matter. They can turn things immediately via whatever engagement they're using. Okay. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the case may be. So basically taking a loan to pick up products and then churn immediately, that, that kind of thing? Yeah, because, you know, say you're paying 66%, right? Okay, well, I'm paying 66% on this collection. Uh, when I sell it for 100%, some of that is going to be eaten up by taxes. Mm -hmm. Some of that is going to be eaten up by fees. Some of that is going to be eaten up by what I pay myself, which really doesn't leave me with a whole lot of money to work with. So if that's the case, I really don't want to be paying interest on a loan out of that collection either. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not good. Yep. Um, one of the biggest things that I will say that isn't necessarily – something every store has to deal with but is something we dealt with was that we had a building that was 13,000 square feet and we'd geared it towards large regional events and if you have overhead like that and you need those large events in order to pay bills when you can't run those large events it doesn't matter what's happening yeah you're gonna close down um, the other thing I think is a lot of and I don't know if this is fair to say, but in my experience, I feel like a lot of people, when they start out their store, they say, this is the store that I want. 
this is what I want to do. So I'm going to run it that way. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that I highly, highly encourage everyone in this industry to not do what you want to do. Do what your community wants to do. And that's something that I think a lot of people can kind of lose sight of, unfortunately, because, I mean, really, your community is why you're here. Yes. And it doesn't matter what you want to do. It doesn't matter what you think is popular or what you think is cool. Your community is what's going to pay your bills. Mm -hmm. They're the ones you should be gearing towards, that you should be worrying about, that you should be making sure are happy with everything you're doing. And I think that's a really big one that a lot of people forget. Um, and one of the other big ones is I, I think there is a really big tendency for stores. And this is something that credit to your comment spot on, uh, you know, if you're just smart with your money or inventory, I think a lot of LGSs, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well. Like when you're the homie, you may get better deals because you're the homie Yep, and that's fine. Regulars get favorable treatment occasionally. The problem is a lot of people, when it comes to their regulars, give those favors every single time someone is in store. And at that point, it is just untenable. Yep. Because if you're doing that for your 10 regulars and you only get 15 people a week, well, you're not making anything at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's just bad for business because if you're not making the money, guess what? You're not paying your bills. Um, and I think the one thing that anyone starting now that I would encourage them to look out for, don't over leverage yourself. Be smart with it because at this point, Wizards is really bad uh, for LGSs. And I think that that's something that really is just like, come on, guys, you got to be smart about this. You can't afford not to be. Yeah. It, to, 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 to peg on that for a moment, there's been a bit of buzz on Twitter, like there always is, but this is specifically about stock that was liquid that has since become illiquid because of consistent reprints. And up until today, it was this idea of like, well, your shock lands will eventually become illiquid because yep. they're going to be printed so often Fetch lands might also follow suit if Modern doesn't continue to take off and Pioneer continues to leverage a ban list with, with fetch lands on there. And then today, we found out that we're getting fetch lands printed in two Ravnica products that are upcoming, which is one more Ravnica product than we knew was going or to have. Lands, shock right? lands, sorry, yes, yeah. shocks. And while they're both supplemental products, injecting them into the marketplace is going to make a certain amount of shock lands in the ecosystem illiquid cards yep. that were once easily movable that were high velocity in and out of the cases illiquid it's going to drop buy prices on shock lands because now lgs's vendors players are inundated with them yep. it's not going to turn them to bulk but it is going to kind of move these to illiquid status and furthers the idea that this is a junk wax era of the game because we just keep yep. getting the same things that just keeps pushing down on prices and the ecosystem, the infrastructure of onboarding new players to these formats that yep. utilize shocklands 
is not there. And so supply will outpace demand. Yeah, and I think this is something that is really worth keeping an eye on because, you know, generally the belief rightfully is that RT, R, remastered, whatever it's called at this point, uh, is going to be a very tightly ordered set by LGSs because they're all still hurting from the holidays. Uh, we know liquidity is down on sealed product and this stuff isn't getting easier to do anything with. And I think that as that happens, uh, you're going to see this more and more where you'll have this downward pressure and all of a sudden interest dies down because it's becoming more and more. I don't know if obvious is the right word, but more relevant to the general collector that, hey, uh, I really don't like I'm not going to pay 40 bucks for this card because in a month it's going to be 10. Yeah. And that makes it a lot harder to make your ends meet as a vendor. We keep talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! Tinning and how that works, where Konami has a very good, seems to have a very good eye on the secondary market. And it does take some time, but eventually the highest priced cards from some of the Mm -hmm. newest sets get tinned and crater the price on them. So they are now accessible to the community writ large. And while Watsi isn't at that kind of cadence yet, they still want products in packs to sell those packs until they're either at the end of their print uh, life cycle or no longer really selling while they are in print. Yeah. We're not going to see that kind of stuff, but they will look back and see what sells well consistently in supplemental products and push them into the ground, which means there's going to be a whole new slew of products to be pushed in supplemental. So anything that pops up in interest will eventually get tinned in time. And that's just the way it's going to, the way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, which is huge for an LGS that wants to do, that thinks they want to do singles inventory. And that's not to speak of the issue that we have been seeing for a while now with variants and how to track those. That's (sighs) only getting worse, I assume. But yeah, to look specifically at the store that you were working with that closed down. So what kind of ended or beget the beginning of the end for that store? So one of the biggest things was legitimately uh, – so there were, there were four partners uh, involved, and two of us were like legs on the ground doing work, and the other two were supposed to be securing funding and investors. Uh, and it was very much a too-many-cooks-in-the-kitchen situation where all four people had differing viewpoints on certain things, and we could just never come to a consensus. Uh, and that's something that you know is keep your partners to a minimum. I don't know how – easy that is for mm. some people to do uh because it's not intuitive you want to be in business with your friends because you have fun with them and it's great absolutely you should uh but that was i think one of our mistakes and the other thing again was we were so leveraged on big events uh you know we had jeremy's 10ks we did nami events we had warhammer like 100 person tournaments that we would put on uh and i think that was something that greatly led to it because when we focused on that we were kind of dropping the ball on the day-to-day stuff keeping that tcg player churn going Mm. keeping buys active being able to properly leverage our employees for what they were good at Uh, and i think that you know i'd I'd encourage anyone starting an lgs or a business in general make sure you have six months of overhead covered when you open Uh, at least just to make sure that hey when curveballs come your way you're fine 
and you can make not a single penny in the first six months and still pay for everything. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was a really big one. Uh, I also think we were, we kind of spread ourselves thin. So yeah, we that's had, basically what it sounds like. Yeah. We, we had the card store there. Uh, we also had a film studio that rented from us and we had a bar and being able to coordinate between all three entities for everything that we had to do, uh, got to be kind of tedious. Um, but there were also some really cool events there. Like the, so St. Louis has one of the bigger Mardi Gras in the country. It's usually number one or number two, right up there with new Orleans. Uh, our last year, 2019, we had an Afro man play a show for Mardi Gras. Nice. Uh, so there was like really cool stuff that happened there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, I, I think it, it's a cliche of course, but the biggest advice that I would give to anyone, and I think the biggest thing that was to our detriment was, you know, the phrase, make the main thing the main thing. And trying to go too wide into too much at once, I, it's really easy to fail. Yeah. And you have to have all your ducks in a row before you can do that. And I think that's one, you know, and I, I think also, uh, you know, he mentions he was part of a business that was directly linked to foot traffic and still survived. Um, we did not, we were not in a high foot traffic neighborhood and we were not in a neighborhood that had good parking. Yeah. Uh, we were in an area at Soulard. It's just a bar neighborhood. It's our French area. Hence that's where Mardi Gras is. Uh, and without those things, which seem incredibly minor to a lot of people, yeah. you know, parking, like who cares? Well, look, man, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes driving around to play F and M. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yep. Yeah. It, it's that easy or pay for parking. That is actually sometimes just oh. a hurdle for people like, and that's, it's realistic, especially if you've got to pay yeah. by the hour. Exactly. Uh, you know, and it's, it's one thing if, Oh, well this place stops after, you know, nine at night. Okay, cool. I, whatever it stops at nine. Yep. I'm not that or seven, you know, whatever. I'm not that worried about it, but if it keeps going, ah, man, that can be kind of rough. Yeah. And I think that that's something a lot of people do overlook is they don't necessarily think about, oh, well, uh, man, that's an extra 20 bucks on top of my FNM fee. Yeah, exactly. Or feel good. coming down for a Saturday to play an event. Like you lose I, people yeah. to that all yep. the time. So, yeah, so it's like a lot of little things. And then I think, like you explained, the biggest thing seemed like you guys wanted to run before you had like started to crawl, so to speak, where you had a lot of great ideas and the execution was in place, but you were just, you just didn't have the infrastructure set up yeah. properly yet. Yeah. Which is I fun. think that's a really good way to look at it. Yep. Yeah. Like when, when I was looking to open my store in the fall, just before COVID hit, we were more concerned about what our community would want and that we would not be able to serve them because the retail space that we had did not lend itself to having any kind of play space. Yeah. Which is dangerous for something like that because if you're, that means we would basically be still as reliant on walk in traffic, if not more, but then the sales of like books and board games, which we already knew we'd be competing against Amazon for. And yep. if you want to talk about small margins, like unless you're doing specialty orders and stuff, like we're close to zero on that. Somebody just was yep. it cool stuff or gaming, et cetera, just announced today that they were pulling back out of board games, which was like their bread and butter for over a decade because yep. they can't compete against Amazon anymore. Like that, that would have been a, a tough time, like super tough. But we, 
when we were looking to set it up, we, we needed to have, we knew what we needed to have at a minimum, but we need, we didn't know what any kind of community would want from us. And that was our biggest concern was just, can we actually support a community or are we going to lose them to the place that's 10 minutes down the road that looks like crap, but has a play space area where people can actually jam FNM on prem. Yeah. Like that. It was a very real concern for us, but we also didn't know what the community wanted ahead of time. We didn't do any kind of soliciting. We didn't do any kind of like boots on the ground work because there was yep. nothing else in the area to talk. Nobody else to talk to aside from that person, like I said, 10 minutes down the road and there weren't a great barometer because you could walk in and just see what's happening, but they're yeah. playing a community from a bunch of different colleges and college campuses are just kind of like, well, who the fuck knows when people are just going to not show up anymore. Yeah. So, um, the the stories that I have are all like positive through through COVID era for my three LGSs that I had um, before I moved, and they all did something different, which I find a little more interesting than probably should be. the The first one was in a very large complex, like probably half a mile worth of parking, oh, wow. and it was not quite a horseshoe of a strip mall but it was just like two parallel lines and on right next to them was a grocery store and on the other end was a movie theater it was just like restaurants and like there's a pt place in there there was uh eventually a weed store moved in there was a distillery like just a sundry of things to do in this location and when they first opened they solicited geez i don't even know what it was not whatever was we used for judging through Watsi, like the actual judge program website. Oh, yeah. We solicited yeah. there looking for a judge to talk to, and I talked to them. And their idea was they were on a walking path by a high school. So they just wanted to bring those okay. kids in. That was it. Sure. And they knew they needed uh, FNM, and they knew they needed Pokemon stuff. So they needed a magic judge, and they needed a professor for yeah. Pokemon. And their their store picked up they didn't do singles they just did packs because that's what they were getting from distro and they were more a toy and hobby shop but you can go there and buy like model rockets or you can buy like okay. little the little fidget toys that just pop lego yeah. sets and stuff like 500 dollars lego sets and they still do that after they move to a store that's got to be like four times the size of that their bread and butter though is toys it's not and never was magic or pokemon yeah. they just happened to do that so when COVID hit, they, their online store went up. Vermont was still pretty lax when it came to walk-in traffic. They just shut down events and survived on their main thing, which was being a toy store. Another one uh, was, in our, was in our downtown area. They, they will survive no matter what because they don't pay rent. Oh, their, yeah, must be nice. Yep, their founder <laughs> owns a chunk of the block that okay, her store yeah. is on. So it's all just moving decimals in a book. But they got rid of magic singles years before COVID because they were just tired of variants. Things are, um, it was shortly after we talked about this a little bit when we were looking at Pro Tour decks after mm -hmm. Origins, when standard decks were $500 again because Fetchlands, Jay's Friends Prodigy. They could not spare the overhead for an employee to just reprice magic cards all day long. That's just not how, how much money that store was making. So they pulled that, they pulled back, sold everything, and went online to do business as usual and just sell TTRPGs and books. They yeah. just like 
their bread and butter has and will always be TTRPGs. Warhammer, everything, even down like down to D&D minis. They still have some of the original run of those kicking it on the shelf. And like some metal minis you have to build. Like they yeah. they do um not quite paint and sip, but they do like airbrush lessons. Like they teach you how to set up your airbrush, how to yeah. use the airbrush, and then they do like paint sessions like that. This is their bread and butter. They were going to, they either did or do stream paint sessions under the creative portion of Twitch. Like That's that was pretty it. cool, actually. So during COVID, they just effectively closed down shop and did online orders only. Come in, pick up your order at a scheduled time, the end. Yeah. And that was it. It worked for them because they didn't lose anything from the magic vertical. It was already gone and you could order all the, the sealed product you wanted regularly. The biggest change was they did the, what did they used to call them? Pre-releases at home where you would buy your pre-release kit. You would get the prizes associated with, uh, with your kit and you would just go home and jam against your friends. Cause once you were out of the store, yeah. they didn't care what you did. Right. And they got by. Then the third one that if, they're in a mall, and if the mall decided to actually just close its doors and not do anything because of COVID, they would have shut down. They only got by because the mall still allowed people to come in. They have zero online presence. They were so bold as to want to open a second store two hours south in a town that is nothing more than a high school to have the only WPN premium store in the state, and I don't even know if they ever hit WPN premium. Uh, this, I'm pretty sure this store survives not based on magic, but because of all the random anime cruft they sell. They basically st stop short of uh, body pillows, and they do a bunch of uh, vintage video game stuff, but not like cool niche stuff, but they'll like clean your Xbox for you kind of stuff. Ah, uh, okay. So they sure. offer those services, and they buy and sell magic and Pokemon and, and Yu-Gi-Oh!, but they're not the only game in town to be doing this. But if the mall closed, I'm pretty sure they would have closed down too. They just continue to do business as usual. So this is kind of like just a tale of three stores that did three different things. And only one of them was lucky enough to have made it because they had all the foot traffic being in a mall. Yeah. Like, if, like I said, if that didn't happen, if that mall in Burlington, Vermont decided to say, Hey, no, during COVID we're no, no, Sorry, nobody comes closed. in. Yeah. Yeah then they would have gone as well. Um, and for me, those are that's just kind of like anecdotally what I saw happen around me. And it seems like the move to online, what that second store did, was basically the way a lot of people moved. If they were yeah. already on TCG Player Cool, that's where the business continued to go. And then they did the pre-release stuff at home, sell-sealed, sell business as usual, curbside pickup, what have you. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to do so. I know making SKUs was a huge pain in the ass for sealed. But other than that, that's kind of how they ran it. Yeah, I think one of the big things that's... It's going to be a really interesting industry change because... For sure. You know, you've been around long enough that you remember when stores being in malls was kind of like a driver. That's just where I stores know, were. I remember Wizards of the Coast stores in malls. We used to have yeah. several of them in New Jersey growing up, and they are all gone. If you listen to the Receivables and Patrick Sullivan talks about going to Wizards of the Coast stores, it was the one in the Bridgewater Mall. <laughs> I've yeah. been there. I bought Torment sets, uh, packs from there. It was a cool <laughs> place. Gone. And 
but yeah, you have that like guaranteed foot traffic. And as we've moved to more of an online marketplace and, and a food court, all of which are super important. I, some of the best pre-releases I went to outside of the regional ones, rest in peace. I'll miss them forever. Uh, were legitimately just like in a mall yeah. because it was usually in the literal food court. Uh, so you could just take a break and go get food, and it was just nice and convenient. And I think that, you know, to the point of the episode, that is something that is criminally underrated in a lot of this industry, is how important convenience is yeah. to everything. Yes. The the store I mentioned that was downtown, they bemoaned, and I'm pretty sure joined every single petition to the town of Burlington, Vermont, that said you cannot increase parking in this town. You cannot remove parking spots in this town. You cannot force more people downtown and not reduce the rates of parking. We will all lose business because you are dumb. And that's eventually what happened. People started to lose business, but tourism is tourism, and it's one of three towns you want to visit in the state anyway, so people will shell out for parking. But yeah, that's... I. I miss that convenience. I miss the ability to get everything I want in one spot at, at an LGS. Yeah. You know, at the pre-release where, oh, we're just, we're just in the food court. I'm just going to like, hey, man, uh, judge, extension, I'm going to go grab Sonic real quick. Yeah. The uh, the LGS that I have now is uh, run by, is the LGS for Card Titan, who's putting on Eternal Weekend. And they're putting a whole ass cafe in there. I think the only thing that's holding them up is, uh, if you if you watch season two of The Bear, uh, they do like the fire test and stuff like that. All like there's a ton of certifications you got to go through. I think they have the majority of those down, and they also I think they might want a liquor license. Not a hundred percent on that. That's but, for them. Yeah, like they have all the equipment in. It's just waiting on somebody from the town to come in, and like I. The GM was basically telling this story when I was judging. It's like the exact same thing. They put everything in. The guy was like, nah, can't do it. Comes in. He's like, wait a minute. I forgot something or you forgot something. So we got to push it out. And it's just what keeps happening. But it's, it's despite the fact that there are places to get food, it's an additional way to capitalize on an already captive audience. And it just offers a huge convenience to people because they know when they're going to be down there for an entire day of gaming. That's it. Or... You might actually serve really good food. So people will just go down there, and then then the rest of the store becomes the impulse buy section at the grocery store. Yep. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is an amount Big of convenience. Yeah. The, like, the amount of convenience surrounding the store's location cannot be understated, but like you said, mo- often is. Yeah. Like, truly is. It's, uh, it's your classic real estate location 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 it is so important yep we had a a brilliant spot lined up in one of the places we were looking at in princeton new jersey it was literally just outside the wrought iron gates of princeton and we had so it was just beautiful access for the for the students uh the corner of the block had uh, espresso, espresso machines that look like they were made from spaceship parts, and we were three doors down. We were first floor and sub floor, 
a room a room to play for like eight to 16 people or something like that. And upstairs looked pretty decent. We could put tables up front. We could stream games, whatever we wanted. Inventory system was nice. It used to be um, a yarn store. So it had like shelf space already and pegboard. Everything was set up for us. But the main concern was that the parking garage was exorbitantly pricey. So trying to bring people in that didn't go to Princeton was just a non-starter because they would have to pay so much just to access that lot that it was just not even close. I, you know, it parking really is just probably, I mean, hell I'll say it's a top three most important thing when you're looking at where you want to put your store. Yeah. Uh, I, it is, it is so important, you know, is if you're in a more affluent area, is it covered? You know, uh, is it secure? Hey, do I have to worry if I go here for a midnight pre-release that someone's going to break into my car and try to gank stuff because everyone there knows what we're there for. They know what this business is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I think that's all stuff that, you know, you want to feel safe and secure whenever you go to that LGS and the ability to park somewhere that's convenient nearby and safe is pretty important honestly yeah right so before we go too off base like there's we we talked about why the store that you worked at closed we talked about a number of things that have led to the store closures or issues opening stores some very important elements in the broad spectrum regarding stores uh why they close without digging into like financials poorly leveraged employees stock availability etc which is in a whole other set of issues and episodes we can do But if there's anybody out there that wants to know more, please feel free to ask. We'll do more episodes about this. We'll put up quick hits uh, on Patreon if you're if you're a patron uh, for you to listen to. Like this stuff is super interesting for us to talk about. It's super fun because it offers an insight into this kind of the side of things that you don't usually get, or you get in like 280 characters on Twitter, and it's not that great. But, Not super informative, actually. Yeah, it but turns out we can we can just keep rabbit holing, and we're like halfway through the episode already. So I want to pull us out. Yes, uh, sorry. So it's it's fine. No, no, I just don't want to to get lost here. Like I said, this will be a two hour episode before we know it, and we got to pack both of us for Eternal Weekend. So yes, we do. Uh, again, if there's more you want to know, feel free to reach out on uh, Twitter, or Facebook, uh, in, in our in the Discord, YouTube, whatever. If you're going to Eternal Weekend, please, yeah. Uh, this is coming out after that, but hopefully you've talked to us. Um, but picks. Uh, I think yes. you went first last week, so I'll go. I did. You got it this time. Yep. So I'm just going to talk about a big dopey artifact. So this week I'm looking at the literal throne of Eldraine, which is a very difficult card to search for uh, because it's named after a set, just like fucking Future Sight oh. and Planar Chaos and Time Spiral. They did yeah. it again. And we, we take a look at the stocks graph and we see that it, pre, it pre-ordered for $20 tanks and then it's slowly rising back up to 20 which is fantastic. Now, like I said, it's a big do- it's a big dopey artifact and what does it do? Well, it costs five for a legendary artifact and it says when it ETBs or as it ETBs, you choose a color, one singular color. Then it has an activated ability. Tap it. Add four mana of the chosen color. Spend this mana only to cast mono-colored spells of that color. It has a second activated ability. Three colorless, tap. Draw two cards. Spend only mana of the chosen color to activate this ability. So this one is another example of RTFC. You you read it, you get it. 
When I took my notes earlier in the week, CK was buying 49 copies at $11. Currently they are buying 45 copies at $12. So this card is still on the rise at CK. Uh, back in October, when I first added this to my list, uh, October 11th, CK was buying 192 copies at $6. And the TCG market price was 100 and, sorry, there were 119 copies at $13.27. Today there are 285 listings, so we've all, we've over doubled the number of listings, and it is $18.51 market price. So we've seen also about a 50% increase in terms of market price. In November, which is basically the only data point I have between adding a sell list and now, CK had eight to sell, and they were $17 a piece, and they were buying 25 at 7.75 a week. So we can basically see the the price trajectory on this is just up forever. It never wasn't up. It just pre-release at a ridiculous price. People are like that's silly. It tanks, and that was basically the flashpoint to buy in before it just takes off. Yeah. Well, so we read the card, and what does this do in Commander in the grand scheme? It's basically just a core piece in monocolored decks. Like this is where you're going to jam it. That's what it does best because that's what the card tells you to do: play monocolored spells or only spend mana of a chosen color to draw cards. Now. Initially, I thought this might not be part of like mono, like the mono blue scene, as you have enough churn in your spells by default that you wouldn't need card drop. But the continued burst of mana puts this on a level like Gilded Lotus when looking at mono blue. Similarly, I figured mono black wouldn't be on this list, and while it's definitely uh, lower than both red and white, it seems a bit higher than I'd expect because black is generally pretty good at turning creatures or tokens into mana. So where is the need for this? And Basically, all that is to say that it's seeing play where I wouldn't expect it to be seeing play, which is pretty exciting. It's not being overlooked by any singular color. It has its uses in all colors, and it can immediately replace some of the more questionable cards in monocolor decks like Gauntlet of Power, which in some cases, like Gauntlet of Power, do not offer a unilateral effect and maybe more detrimental than helpful. Gauntlet of Power gives mono flare to everybody for the chosen type for the chosen land type yeah little dangerous cage sun just costs a lot it costs six so that's basically the stuff but the cards that immediately come to mind when we're looking to replace this now as mentioned this costs five adds four so it immediately refunds 80 percent of the mana spent on it up top allowing you to follow up with at least a monocolored four drop so this sets you up for a pretty large next turn getting four mana instead of two or three which is what we usually see from rocks and this isn't to say that the restriction on how you spend the mana and what mana you use to draw doesn't make working with this card easy, but the upside is there when you compare it to other mana rocks in the space. And obviously this isn't meant to take the slot of something competitive like Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, or Mana Vault, but it should be in the conversation when you're looking at cards like Gilded Lotus, Gauntlet of Power, Cage Sun. You know, these larger mana rocks that might offer additional upside is basically where we want to see, can we instead put Throne of Aldrain in? I touched on the burst of mana that you get compared to other options, the immediate refund on mana, but I think the hidden mode here might just be the card draw in the mid to late game when you've got your Nykthos or similar just cranking with an overhead on mana. Yeah. And it allows you to stay flush with resources or draw back into the game after the nth board wipe. And when we take a look at EDH rec for this, we see it in decks that we kind of talked about a while ago where we see it in Giada, Font of Hope, Avicent, Angel of, of Hope, 
Angel decks, which have a problem coming back from the mid to late game after the nth board wipe. We see it in mono red decks, which do have a lot of churn, but generally involve discard. Awesome. Like we see it in green, which to me is uh, a little surprising because green doesn't always need the help drawing cards. It just needs like things to do with its mana. So that one's kind of a, a weird rub. Yeah. But then the further we scroll down, we see it more in mono black and we continue to see some blue show up, which is honestly pretty exciting because like I said, regardless of whether you're playing like Maronar or Min, Wily Illusionist, there's opportunity for you to use that extra mana to draw additional cards or help burst through some large turns. The timeline on this, uh, we're seeing the slope on this cool overall compared to the first like month it was out. Uh, but demand seems to be holding pretty strong, though it is a bit slow selling at about six copies a day. That said, even at the current velocity, without a fresh infusion of quantity, we could see the sellout inside of a month and a half, and then we'll see a price reset. We go from $8.50 to $20 fairly quickly, and $22 a little while after that, and this will allow us to flip back into the open market after a small amount of time. Now, if you want to move this to buy a list, that's another story. As we've seen growth over time, as I explained up top, it does seem to have cooled a bit more than the market price has. So buy a list is just a little slower to adjust than the market price. So if this is going to be your out, not moving into the open market or trade, going to buy a list, you might be looking at a three-month uh, market for buy a list to catch up. So, you know, the difference is probably going to be about a month to a month and a half. Anything before I get into repro equity? Uh, no. Alright. I, I love this card. I think one of the neatest things about it is you, I mean, I guess you can run it in a colorless deck, but it doesn't actually work without Painter Servant. I thought about that. I, I was going to put some... I It's just like a kitschy thing about the card that I yep. love. Uh, so, uh, Reprint Equity, I think, is close to just fucking zero. As close to zero as you can get. This is absolute zero. This is negative 267 or whatever in Kelvin because it's named explicitly after an item or an element of the Eldraine story, the literal throne of Eldraine. I wouldn't expect them to reprint this unless it was in Universes Within or some some such. We are yeah. getting in uh, Murders at Karlov Manor a renamed uh, Thraben Inspector, which is like just a functional reprint. So we could get something like that. But even then, I'd expect it to be within a monocolor commander deck because... That's the restriction on the card, and they're yep. not doing those anymore. So I think we're really well insulated on all fronts. Yeah. Uh, buy quantity, like, at the current price, I can't advocate spending too much on this. If you can't hold for at least six months, which is longer than I said buy list would take, but if you re really want to see, like, decent returns, that's where you're going to be. So if you can't do that, then I think four is where I'd be. And at the moment, I don't think I have any in my hands, but I plan to replace my Gauntlets of Power across all my commander decks with these because I don't run Cage Sun. So yeah. if I do pick, if and when I do pick these up, which will probably be using my CK credit, they're just going right into commander. I'm not even moving these. I'm just going to actually play them in commander because I like what they do so much more than Cage Sun, than Gauntlet of Power, than Gilded Lotus, uh, not uh, Nyx Lotus. I think that one's also uh, kind of out of the question here. I think that's way too powerful. Yeah. And it also kind of plays well with or against War Room. I think that's the card that allows you to draw and you lose life equal yes. to, right? So that's also in the conversation. Do you want to run War Room or Throne of Aldrain or both? Like it, it just adds this kind of like really unique opportunity to your deck to kind of flex into both a Monorock and a draw spell. 
and it's also legendary, so you get things like Delighted Halfling, so it can't be counted. Like, there are a lot of weird little bits and pieces about this card that don't quite add up to increased demand, but just make this card a little more interesting and more of a consideration for play than just, hey, as an artifact that adds mana and yeah. can draw. So. Exactly. Uh, I, I think this card is great. I think one of the best parts is that it is so insulated against basically everything. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for them to reprint without a universes within. Like you said, they've gotten away from monocolored commanders. And it's it's seeming more and more with design space. And obviously, you know, recent cards, so maybe that's not the case. But everything has gotten so multicolor heavy at this yep. point, And the color identities have bled together so much that there doesn't seem to be a lot of focus on that. And I think that cards like this are the kind of thing that... Because the design philosophy has shifted away from cards that make this good, this is going to be a, like, wake up in eight months and you're like, holy shit, when did Throne of Eldraine become a $30 card? Yeah. Exactly. Fuck. Yeah, it's just going to kind of slink along just like Paradox Engine did for a really long time. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the old EDH cycle, right? Where it was every set had that one banger, like Panharmonicon was the first time I remember people seeing it and immediately saying... This is the EDH card from this set. Yeah, yeah. Because prior to that, it would take a few months, but there would be a clear cut. This is the EDH is the card. card of the yeah. set. And I think that Throne is one of those things that, oh, this was the EDH card of the set. We just completely forgot in the midst of everything else. Yep. For sure. I think it's solid. Thank you. Uh, I am going with a little bit more of a market call out. Uh, so our last episode, we touched on basically... What do people think of, you know, what was the feedback on Lord of the Rings Holiday Edition? And I mentioned that the scenes can really only be ordered as a case, one of each. And uh, naturally, one of the most important cards that came out of those scenes was Legolas's Quick Reflexes. Um, we've talked ad nauseum about the card in Legacy. Uh, obviously, it's going to be very good in Modern as well, presumably. I, there's just a lot of reasons to like this card. The reason I'm calling this out is because, look, Lord of the Rings Holiday is about to be over in a few weeks. Uh, there are still some copies of the scenes sitting at Distro. But importantly, we are about to go into Eternal Weekend, yep. which is when everyone expects this card to make waves or at least appear on stream, maybe make a couple top eight deck lists. We'll see. Uh, but... I have every anticipation that when that happens, this card will start to go up and supply will dry up, not because it's not out, but because literally you just can't do anything with it. You can't get it because stores are going to pay, I think it's 60 or $70 for one scene one with scene. this card in it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. That's just, that's not how it works. All right. It's not going to work like that. So this may see an exponential increase in price over the next couple months. And it's one that a lot of people have mentioned, you know, financially was just a great idea. This card is great. I've also heard people say there's no reason this card should be $20. I think those people are idiots. Uh, this card will probably be 50 within the next two to three months unless suddenly there is a massive influx of holiday scenes or wizard starts to just produce just this one scene that you can then order in mass yeah uh but i it's something that keep your eye on it uh by quantity obviously uh, it's a 60 card format card 
I think there is a world where you can run this, obviously, in EDH, uh, in CEDH even. Uh, Veil is a hell of a card. Um, I, I think it is worth keeping an eye because this is the first time, I think in at least the last six months to a year, where there's a limited run card that actually feels like it's going to be limited because it was part of a holiday gift set. Yeah. And the holidays are almost over. Yep. I don't know. Just think people should keep an eye on it. It's yep. going to go places. Mostly up. Yes. No, I, I agree. Um, the one thing I want to do is, so we've talked about this card, but I don't know if you've actually read it before. So it's a one green instant with split seconds. So basically it just can't be countered. And it yep. says, there, there's caveats to that. But it says, untap target creature. Until end of turn, it gains hexproof reach. And whenever this creature becomes tapped, it deals damage equal to its power to up to one target creature. Right? This so so good. Yeah. So the, the expectation that people had immediately, and what we saw was it slide into the lands deck in Legacy. Because at the end yep. of my opponent's turn, I make my 2020 Marit Lage. I can protect it in a number of ways. And if they want to try and interact with me and make me sacrifice it during combat, well, I can just split second or like try and kill it in combat, split second this. Uh, Val takes care of the sacrifice, generally speaking. Or yep. people thought Infect might come back because of this because now it gives your Infect creature hexproof. Reach, kind of. Yeah. yeah. And, and hexproof, yeah. Exactly. Um, the, the problem with both of those is that I believe you can... Still be targeted by Veil? No, you can't be. Okay, so you're yeah. not Veil. Sorry, uh, Binding. Yeah, um, Binding, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't Binding in response, but Binding still eats the creatures before or afterwards, so it's a pain in the... Binding's a different story compared to something like Swords. Yeah. And, in fact, never happened. So basically, we're expecting at EWNA, which is not necessarily the EW we expect all the lands players to be at. Um, usually, that's Japan. But, yeah. Then we would see this card pop but it seems like we've just kind of been hovering for the end of all ews to really see what happens with this card yeah. um one of the things to note and this is what i was looking for while you're talking dark depths is not on the edh rec list for high synergy cards or anything with legus legless quick reflexes it seems like it's more just a protection piece for the most part uh, there are some chonky boys the new galta is on here because you know that's a, a 12 12 but yeah. when we start looking at like, what are high synergy cards? We get into weird things that have, like, little to no power. <laughs> like, people are just using it in Commander as a general protection spell, which is, that's fine. That's fine, yeah. Yeah. But you could definitely punch something out, you know? Pretty hard. That's because, actually, it's a, it's a bite. Yeah, it's a bite, not a fight. So you can just, like, knock something yeah. out with this and then still swing in for infinity. And because it deals damage that means that death touch will work so you can death touch something off the board and if you have not lifelink but weird lifelink from loxon warhammer or armadillo cloak yeah you can god love armadillo cloak. yeah they're, they're not actually lifelink so they stack with lifelink you can yeah. still gain the life off of this like there's a lot of weird and kitschy utility that this card is going to offer in the long term that isn't just protection in commander and so i i do think this has uh the opportunity to make more of a splash there as well, rather mm -hmm. than just being a constructed card. I think it's just going to take a lot longer because people are looking at this like yet another veil of summer. Yeah. Right. And I, I like the pick overall. I've got mine because, you know, 
I play a Legacy? Legacy, yeah. <laughs> and I would recommend anybody who does play a Legacy to have these. It's not like lands is going as to become soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, the best deck, and you don't need the Tabernacle for lands. It is more eminently affordable as a deck than it has ever been because almost everything besides Sphere Resistance has been reprinted in, into the ground. Yeah. And I think it's just a worthwhile card to own as a player, not just somebody who's looking to flip this for money. At the yeah. end of the day, though, like you said, this is the card driving sales of that scene. There, there are some others, but they're not nearly yeah. uh, as expensive or as sought after. And when that scene dries up, this card is going to go up in price naturally anyway. So get ahead of it if you think you're ever going to play it at a minimum. Yeah, I I think that if these kinds of products start to become more normal, uh, this is the next wave of where I expect we will be able to acquire some kind of financial gain on in-print products. Yep. Uh, so it's just not just this card, but just pay attention to... I don't, I don't know if time-gated products is the right phrase to use, but this is kind of a time-gated product. And that's why I wanted to call it out, because yeah. that gate is closing, basically. Yeah, we don't get that a lot anymore. Commander decks are now basically printed into Infinitum, unless it's one of the small release ones, like we know about like Warhammer or Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. Basically, the yearlies. Yeah. Uh, and those are time-gated, and so this is just another reminder that you do have to look at these time-gated products, regardless of what they are. Like, I didn't know about this product at all until I saw uh, Legolas's quick reflexes and then i just bookmarked the tcg player page where the card was listed and watched the price until it got to where i wanted it to be and then i yep. picked up mic four for play like that's straight what i did i sat on that tcg player page for a month until i got to where i wanted it to be because i knew that's what i like i would need to do i'd have to hawk yep. that price until i got somewhere where i was comfortable buying in where i didn't think the floor would fall out any further because i didn't know as somebody who doesn't work at an LGS or a district or a vendor anymore, what allocation truly looked like for this. So I had yep. to wait for street date, like we talked about in the last episode, waited a little longer so that people could open their scenes, sell back what they wanted and inundate the market. And once it felt like that had happened and the price had kind of yeah. like circled around, like I think 17 is where I got in because I was running the tools that I've built for our, our patrons on that page to look at market price. Once I saw it hit a price where it seemed to be rebounding a little bit, I moved in because we just passed yeah. the floor. And I yeah. So I agree. I, th I don't think we're coming back. I think it's going to be uh, a product of this. This product is going to run out. This card is going to go up in price and that's just going to be it. Um, yeah. Now we're talking about the regular version, not the surge foil, which is in a different store, which is a different story. Yes. Um, you said, I think, before the episode that the non-foil version can only be opened in the scene. Or does it come uh, in I the believe that's as well? Correct. Uh, so it, it uh, I believe it comes in one. It can come in one slot of collector boosters. Okay. Uh, because why would anything be easy? But that's still not, or from the holiday boosters, yes. that is. Yeah, yeah. So from still limited to a time-gated product. Yep, the Surge Foil also comes from the Collector Boosters, and the only way to yeah. get the, the Surge Foil is in the Collector Boosters. Okay. Yeah. So that that's also to be noted as well. Because we we didn't gloss over those products. Those That was our, our episode last week. You can go yeah. back and listen to us. Wax poetic about them. But it is worthwhile to know Something what we're talking like about. <laughs> yeah, right. It only comes in Borderless, because that's what you do. And yep. the Borderless version is in the scene, as well as the Collector Boosters. Surge yeah. is only in collective boosters. So there we go. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? 
that'll do it. All right. So for at MTG Beancast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are? Not getting banned because we're the Beancast and we don't listen. But I am at Damon underscore Thurston. We'll see you next week.